Welcome to the Coach Cahill Show, an audio masterclass on how to move the needle on your performance and impact as an athlete, parent, or coach. Here's your host, Coach Cahill. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I actually had a chance to listen to a couple podcasts with a couple different coaches and I mean, I, that's, that's one of the reasons I was like, yeah, this, this sounds great. I think it's, it's a great platform. So I'm excited. Yeah, no, appreciate it. Yeah. There's a lot of like podcasts with like X's and O's and scheme and like hog football chat and, you know, run the power and all that stuff. And it, it's fun, but I, truthfully, I was a kicker in high school and college and I never really slogged my way through a playbook. So I, this was just more interesting that the philosophy side of things. So yeah. Um, well, cool, man. So I always ask uh, coaches, you know, how did coaching find you? Because most kids grow up wanting to be the quarterback or play in the NFL, and then suddenly they wake up after college and. Yeah. Um, my my journey in football has been, I don't know, maybe it's normal, maybe it's different, but I, you know, I started playing little league football second, third grade. I was I was always too big because I'm I'm from Utah originally, and in Utah. If you're above a certain weight, you have to wear an X on your helmet. You have to play on the line. I know it's a lot of, like, a lot of places have that, but, um, so I didn't play. Um, I wasn't a skilled player for most of my little league career. I was mostly a center defensive end. Um, you know, what, one year I got to play tight end cause I, I came on just under the weight limit, but, um, you know, I got to high school and wanted to be a quarterback, went to a brand new Catholic high school, um, we were going to run the split back via triple option. And so I was like, oh, I grew up on Nebraska football. So triple option, it was like in my blood. I'm like, this is perfect. I'm going to be the next Tommy Frazier. Um, and I was terrible at it. I sucked. And so um, they turned, they, they noticed, you know, hey, you can run the ball pretty well. So we're going to put you at fullback. And I was like, okay, I can do that. And so, um, you know, my first year at this Catholic high school was its first year in existence. And we were bad. We we lost um, pretty much every game by by triple. You know, it was like uh, three four scores. Um, but but we grew like because we only had freshmen and sophomores then. And but we grew as a team. And um, by the time I was a senior, we won the state championship. Um, now it was a small school, but still, you know, it was a, it was a big deal. So football, you know, for me was, was always kind of in my blood. Cause my, my uncles played for Nebraska, my dad and, and his brother were big high school football players had an opportunity to play at the college level. But for me, I was, my mom was a teacher and she really emphasized the education piece, um, really, really hard, like to the point where I couldn't do anything without, Hey, have you done your homework yet? Oh, okay, mom. So, um, <laughs> But uh, she's the worst caring about you. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, it's terrible when your parents care. Um, but uh, yeah, so, so, you know, it was always really stressed upon me, the value of education. And um, so when, when I got to the point where I started getting recruited for football, um, my parents were like, you know, realistically, you're not going to go to the league. You're, you're not fast enough. Um, you're not strong enough. You're not big enough. And, and so they wanted me to explore some higher end academic schools, you know, Ivy League schools, NESCAC schools, um, really high end academic schools. And they wanted the division three model because it was the best of both worlds. Um, you could be a student, you could be an athlete, you could be high level of both. And so I looked at, um, you know, schools like a couple of the NESCAC schools, a couple of the Ivy League schools, and then ultimately decided on Case Western in Cleveland, Ohio. So when I went to Case, I went to be an engineer. And um, football was just, hey, I'm going to play four more years, going to have a great time, going to go off and, and build bridges because I want to be a civil engineer. And um, I, I had a blast at Case, but I, I realized pretty quickly that I was pretty terrible at math and science. And <laughs> for, for an engineer, that's, that's not a good thing. So um, I switched over to pre-law, um, sociology and psychology double major, much better fit for me. And um, that was the plan. Gonna go to law school, took my LSATs, did well enough to get into a couple, um, a couple law schools. And so that was, that was what I was set to do. Um, end of my senior year, like March, um, the head coach came to me and said, hey, we don't have a running back coach right now. Do you want to kind of fill in and, and help us out a little bit, or at least lead some drills? 
And, and I kind of was like, yeah, why not? Opportunity to stay around the game a little bit longer, just have a little bit of fun before I graduate. Um, it went well. And um, I decided at that time to take a gap year. And so um, I came back in the fall and they gave me my own room. They let me, you know, they, I'm 22 years old at this time. And so, you know, they, they were helping me. They were looking over my shoulder a little bit, but they, they let me, you know, lead practices, watch film with the guys. And I fell in love with it. Um, it was never the plan. And I still remember that conversation with my parents saying, um, hey, mom and dad, I'm not going to go to law school. I'm actually going to coach football. So um, there goes it, all your hopes for jobs. Yeah, yeah, it, it was <laughs> my path was never like I grew up loving football. It was it was part of me, but I never saw it as like a, a career for me. And, you know, life has a funny way of, of making you look silly. And here I am 15 years later. The head coach at at a, a really great school that um, I'm having a blast. Now I got to go back for we'll come back to that in one second because um, we don't want to leave the disappointing parent talk because um, that'll be fun. But wh- where did you go on a gap year? And I think I don't think enough American kids take gap years. Like it, it's an awesome country. Yes, we have issues, but most of our issues are other countries' dreams. You know, like I I did Peace Corps and. Ukraine for two years and they would say oh that stinks you have so much money that you have these great wealth gaps but we have no money so we can't have a wealth gap here <laughs> um so where did you go on your gap year and what was that like and how did that help you recalibrate for what you wanted to do yeah so I mean I I spent I remember um the summer leading up to it I, I spent a lot of time back home in Utah you know with my parents and just you know it's different when you're when you're you know from the time you're born till you're 18, living in the house, and then you go to college for four years and come back and spend a significant amount of time with them. You just have a new view of the world. So getting to, to know them as adults was, was really cool that summer. And, and just, um, I don't know, looking at the place I grew up in a really different way. But I, I spent that next year, um, I actually spent the next three years um, as, as, like I said, an assistant coach, but I was, um, I was working as a part-time assistant, you know, making, I don't know, two grand a, a season. And um, I was working at a, a small bookstore um, on the west side of Cleveland with two guys that I had played college football with. They started their own book company. It was mostly online at the time. So I was kind of like a, a project manager for them, filling orders. Um, and then I actually helped them build a brick and mortar bookstore where, you know, people could come in and, and do that. And so I was part of that process um, while also coaching football. So it was, you know, that was, it was, it, it showed me like, Hey, this is what life could be if you decide to go one way. And then obviously I had the football piece on the other hand saying like, Hey, you're pretty good at this if you want to pursue it. So I was kind of living in both worlds mm-hmm. for a while until, you know, the, the head coach at case came to me and said, if you really want to do this, you got to get out of here. You got to go somewhere else. You got to see how they do it. And, and that's what ultimately led me to, okay, I, I think this is what I want to do. I'm, I'm going to go somewhere else and, and try to try to make a name for myself, try to see if, if I can really do this for a career. And, and what was that moment like when you decided to stop having like, you know, one foot in one world, you're trying to be this engineer and helping your guys with your friends with this bookstore. And then, when you jumped into coaching, because I feel like there's, you know, in the coaching world, and then especially when you talk about recruiting, I mean, there's, we really want there to be this like Las Vegas giant green light from God that says, yes, do this. This is the right thing to do. But the older you get, the more you start to realize that your decisions are a lot more gray than they are black and white. So what was your thought process like? And then how did you kind of just get over the hesitancy of, of diving all in? Yeah, it was, it was hard because after my, after my third, cause I was at, I stayed at three, stayed at case for three seasons and we had a ton of success. Um, and so my parents, you know, being the parents that they are and, and, you know, pushing education um, to the nth degree, they're like, listen, if you come home, we'll pay for graduate school. And so I was like, well, (laughs) Um, it, it was a big incentive. So, you know, I went home that summer and, um, I contemplated it and, and I, I applied, got into graduate school. And so that was kind of the plan again, but there was a job posted, 
um, on the football, I think it was football scoop. And it was at Grinnell College in Iowa. And it was for a running backs coach. And it, you know, I, I read the duties. I, I knew about Grinnell because I got recruited by Grinnell coming out of high school. And um, it, it seemed it seemed like the right thing at the right time. And so I applied to it and gosh, I feel like maybe two days later, I got a call from the head coach and he was brand new. He was 30, 31 years old. And at this time I'm 24, 25. And he's like, Hey, we need a running backs coach. Tell me about, you know, your experience. And, you know, a day later he offered me the job and two days later I was driving out to Iowa. So um, I, I think the moment, it, it felt good, but it was terrifying at the same time because now like people were looking at me like, like I knew what I was doing. And internally I was, I was screaming saying, is this the right thing? Are you making the right decision? Um, and ultimately, you know, obviously in hindsight, I, I know I did, but at the time it was, it was scary. It was scary to make that jump and to be on my own and not have my safety net of being at my alma mater surrounded by coaches who knew me, um, coaches that I could lean on because now it was on me. And you didn't have the transfer portal to go into to try to transfer to another team. <laughs> I did not. I did not have the the access to the transfer portal at that time. But yeah, it was it was wild. Um, but it was fun. It was exciting. It was an adventure. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think like we come up to those moments, especially after college too, because really K to twelve is kind of like a conveyor belt. But even college is somewhat like that too, where okay, like yeah, it was a, a bit of a hiccup, big decision to figure out where you're going to college. But you know, then those four years are largely prescribed for you academically, not so much socially. But you know, then you wake up at twenty two, and now suddenly you're like making decisions for the first time, and you have to jump into something new. Um, and I don't think, I don't, I, I think every new graduate has that like oh no moment where they like okay, what did I just spend all this money for? Um, and there's going to be like a little bit of an ambiguous period, especially in your like mid twenties, um, you know? And, and I definitely went through that where, you know, I, I had one foot in the coaching door. I had one foot in the business world door. Um, you know, I was still thinking about maybe going back to graduate school. And um, so it's, it's, it's hard, you know, when you're, people don't tell you, Hey, this is how you choose the right career path. I mean, they give you, they give you options and then you got to make, you got to make the jump and you don't know if it's the right one until it's not, or it is. And when that moment comes, um, who knows, it could be three years down the line. It could be 10 years down the line. And um, I think for me with football, it, it took a while because like a lot of football coaches, you know, I had to, it, it takes a while to catch on somewhere because you're working these. And again, I was a seasonal coach for, for Grinnell and it, it took a while to finally get into a position where I felt comfortable and I felt like financially it was a good position and, and I was at the right school. So it just, it takes time. Um, coaching is not one of those things where you can just make a, a steady climb up. Sometimes it's up, sometimes it's down, sometimes it's back up, and then sometimes it's back to the bottom again. So it's, it's a tough profession, but it's, it's something I definitely love. And um, I honestly, I wouldn't change any of it because I've learned so much from each experience. Sure. Yeah. I think it's easy when you're like young or even as a college football player, you look at your college coaches and you're like, man, they, they've got that figured out. <laughs> but on the inside, like, they, they don't have it as figured out. They, they're just as figured out as, as, the, as the kids that they coach are. Um, so, all right, let's transition a little bit. Um, what, I guess, in terms of, uh, you know, we're in the kind of the thick of recruiting. Um, what do you think is a common, what do you think is the biggest problem with recruiting today? Um, you know, I, so living in Ohio, you know, I hear all the Ohio State, you know, football, radio, and they talk about it like it's such a business. And they talk about these kids like they're commodities. And, and it's so disappointing because these are, you know, 17, 16, 17, well, because they start recruiting them now when they're like freshmen in high school. It's wild. And, and these are just kids that are trying to figure it out. And they're trying to sell them a dream that, that may or may not be realized. And 
And so I think the biggest thing with recruiting, especially big time recruiting, is just hearing coaches talk about these kids like they're commodities and and try to, you know, sell like them something. Show. Yeah, it's it. it I, and that's why, you know, for me personally, it's been really hard to see myself at a, at a division one level because I love the relationships that I get to form, not only in recruiting, but but with the players um, in their four years here. Like I, I know their families. Um, I know, you know, they, they introduce me to like people that are important in their lives. I, I, I feel like I am a part of their lives as much as they are a part of mine. And, and that is a, a special relationship. Like, for example, you know, we just had five seniors graduate who chose to, to go ahead and graduate through the pandemic and not take an extra year and just, you know, seeing them get through this and, and be resilient um, and knowing how hard that was and to be able to to congratulate them on that. Like, oh my gosh, I felt like, I felt like their dad. And um, I don't, I'm sure those relationships exist at a higher level, but you know, there's, there's, there's a transactional thing there because if, if they're not doing what the coach wants or needs them to do, they just go pluck somebody else and plug them in. And I, I, I just hate that. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's definitely a coldness to the, the college game when you make that jump from high school to college. Um, because in college, you know, like your job security is dictated based off of what you do on Saturdays. And that's not true at every school, but I mean, I think different levels have different levels of heat on the coaching staff or, you know, FBS in some SEC conferences. I mean, shoot you lose your first two games, they'll, they'll can the whole staff and the benefactor gets upset. Yeah. Whereas division three, like, okay, maybe there's more flexibility. You see coaches that have been there for like 30 to, you know, 20 years. Um, do, do you think that, um, I, I guess, you know, do you talk about, you sound more like a guidance counselor than a, a head football coach. I'm just saying, I don't know if you've gotten that before, but I feel like I'm hanging out with my high school guidance counselor again. Um, so, what is your but you do have to have difficult conversations with recruits or with your players so what is your policy on that or, or how do you how do you frame those conversations to where the kid or the, the player kind of understands that hey you know what what coach thinks of me as a player is not what he thinks of me as a person yeah I think for me being a new head coach, I think that's been the hardest part is to, to be able to have those conversations in, and like you said, frame them in a way where they understand that that just because I, I feel one way about you as a football player doesn't mean I think you're a bad person as well. Um, so, you know, the, the biggest thing I've found is, is to communicate clearly and effectively and to be transparent to the nth degree. I think kids now more than ever want that, need that. Um, and, and that honestly for coaches, I think it, it makes it harder on us, but that's kind of where we're at right now. So, um, you know, it's taken me time. I'm still growing. I'm still learning how to do that. But I think, especially right now, letting our guys know, setting very clear expectations, um, sitting down and saying, in order to play for Kenyan football, you need to do these three things. And, and we talk about, you got to prove you want to play. And that extends beyond the football field that goes to the classroom as well. You gotta, you gotta be showing up for class every day. You gotta be sitting in the first two rows. Um, you've gotta be striving for excellence in, in the classroom as well as on the field. You have to have the skills to play. Um, these are 18 to 22 year old men now. And if you don't have the skills, the physical tools to play, can't put you out there. Um, and then the third piece, obviously, we have to be able to trust you. We put you out there and we're running, you know, press quarters and you're running some sort of cover three scheme. Not great. Not great. So, you know, I tell them that, though, I lay it out and then I do it again and again and again, because what I've learned is just because you tell them once doesn't mean they hear you. Just because they t you tell them twice doesn't mean they hear you. You can tell them 60 times and they still may not hear you. So you just have to constantly reinforce what you're saying and remind them, hey, this is what we're doing. And it's hard and it's exhausting at times. But if you do it, um, then you can always point back to, hey, remember on May 24th when I told you this. Remember on April 6th when I told you this. It was the same thing. And so there's consistency there. And then you can always fall back on that as well. 
Gotcha. And, and do you, have you ever come across a player who, uh, you know, everybody who winds up in college football at any level, they obviously have some talent. They had some juice in high school. They think they're the man in high school. Oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm Kenyon, whatever. And like, you know, and then there's that reality moment where like they realize suddenly that they're not the best football player on the field anymore. Um, what, and I think that's one of the, the more frustrating things for freshmen. I, I call them like freshman uh-ohs that there's like that first uh-oh moment where you're not the biggest guy anymore. There's a second uh-oh moment when you're in your dorm room alone for the first time. And then there's the third one when you're trying to do your laundry for the first time. So how do you, and I think we don't talk about this enough, but you know, the, what is the retention rate of freshmen going into a certain program and then finishing? Cause I remember starting, I played D3. We had a hundred and we had a hundred freshmen show up. And it was one of those situations where it was pretty clear the football team needed to bring in 10% of the male population, blah, blah, blah. But by the time we finished, we only had like 25 guys four years later. Um, what do you see as the greatest uh, uh, trap that freshmen fall into that might derail them? And then yeah. how do you help your freshmen navigate that? I think where you run into trouble is, is you can even go back to the recruiting process. Um, for us, we have to be really clear and direct because the academic piece at Kenyon is very challenging. Kenyon academically is, is as rigorous as an Ivy League school. It's, it's that kind of rigor. So we have to be really clear and direct with them from the beginning and tell them, hey, this is hard. And just because you get in doesn't mean it gets easier. It actually gets harder as you go. You just get better at handling it. So just giving, making sure that number one, we find the right fit. Cause I think so many coaches just recruit guys cause they're great football players and they really like them as a person, but are they the best fit for your school? Maybe, maybe not. You got to find that out because if they're not, they're going to leave. That's, that's where you run into problems there. Number one, number two, you gotta be honest with them with what your school is and what it can give them. Um, I think, the problems you run into later are, oh, this Kenyon, you know, for us specifically, kid, oh, I, I, Kenyon wasn't what I thought it was. Well, that's on us because we need to do a great job of putting it all out there and saying, this is who we are. This is what we represent. This is what you're going to get. And if we do that, then I think you find, again, more the right fit. Um, one of the things I also try to tell, tell the guys before they come in is you will fail here um, and you will probably fail spectacularly at some point that's okay. It happens. Um, it happened to me in college. It happened to probably every single one of the guys you see on the team. Now, of course, there's always those guys that are the 4-0 guys. They, they're just brilliant. They don't struggle. I hate those guys. Yeah. <laughs> you just, what, what can you do with those? But, you know, right. they're few and far between. So I think being honest with them and saying, you will fail, you will struggle, you will probably get a C on a paper for the first time in your life. It's okay. Because you're going to learn from it. You're going to get better. And you're going to know what the expectations are now. And, and I think that's the biggest piece is they just don't know what's expected of them. They know it's going to be challenging, but they just, the unknown and the uncertainty. Um, we also talk a lot, a lot with our guys about mental health and especially mental health for young males. Um, I, in college, I, I struggled a lot with my mental health, especially my freshman year, because um, it was the first time I'd ever left Utah um, and lived outside of Utah. Um, I traveled before, but like to live for a prolonged period of time somewhere else. And Cleveland was drastically different than Salt Lake City, Utah, <laughs> night and day. So it's something that, that is very important to me because I know what it's like to be in a very dark place when you're a young guy being far away from home. So we, we talk about that immediately. And we talk about the resources that are available for student athletes um, in regards to their mental health. And, and I also, I share my story with them. I tell them, you know, what I went through because I think so many times, um, especially coaches, especially head coaches, you know, are put on a pedestal and said, oh, well, coach, got, coach has it all figured out, he's got it. Um, and, and I think when they know that, that you are also vulnerable and flawed, that if they are struggling, they'll come to you and they'll say, coach, I'm having a really tough time. And that happened 
that's happened a couple times since I've been here. They felt comfortable enough to come to me and say, I need help. Can you, can you get me resources? I'm like, absolutely. Let's, let's go, let's walk you over to the health and wellness center right now and set something up. So I think that's a big piece. The mental health piece is, is a struggle. I think that's for retention. Um, I think um, feeling like they're part of a community um, and, and trying to integrate them in the team as quickly as possible, because obviously, you know, for us, we recruit all over the country. So like next year, we'll have guys coming in from California, from Oklahoma, from Texas, from Florida, and like they come from different backgrounds. They're, they're all very different people, but they share the common goal of, Hey, we, we want to be at Kenyon because we, we think we're going to be a great fit. We want a great education. We want to play um, college football, you know, they want all these pieces that, that are the same, but, you know, backgrounds different. So getting them integrated, introducing them to their teammates. Zoom has helped us with that a lot. Um, I don't know what we were doing before Zoom, honestly. Like, we're, we're just calling on the phone, FaceTime. Right. Like, it just feels, it feels like we were living in the Stone Age before this. But right. um, I think that too, the integration piece, and we have like a big brother, little brother program that I'm sure a lot of programs do this, where they pair the younger guys with the older guys and they take them under their wing for the summer and answer questions and connect with each other. So social media has helped a lot with that. Guys connect like our, our incoming class, like they already have a, a group Snapchat that they, you know, <laughs> yeah. and I'm just, it blows my mind. Like anytime, anytime we had a guy commit in this process, like they knew before I told them, like it was on the Snapchat. I was like, Oh gosh, you guys are so well connected. It's great. <laughs> right. but that's, that's good. That I, I, I think that's good. So I think a combination of all those things, um, you know, are, are barriers to retention because, you know, any one of them can get you a guy like for us, we only bring in 20 to 25. So we need to retain our players at the highest level possible. I'm, I'm realistic and know we won't retain them all because it's just, it's life, but we need to retain 90% of them in order to, to have a healthy roster and to, to develop them and to make them better as, as young men, as players, as students. So, yeah. And, and would you mind, I mean, obviously share to the extent you're comfortable with, but what, what was that experience like with, uh, with mental health, you were when you started out in college. Yeah. Um, so I, I was um, again. It, it was a new. Cleveland was such a new city for me. I'd been there once on my visit, and you know, made a decision of going somewhere one time. But I felt overwhelmed at Case Western because it was. My high school was pretty small. I think I graduated with 144 in my class. And, you know, case, I remember my chemistry class, I think I had like 70 or 80 kids in that class. And I was like, it just blew my mind. And they were all brilliant. Like they, you know, the professor asked like three questions at the beginning of class, my first class. And I was like, I didn't know any of them. And all these kids were, their hands were up. And I was like, oh my gosh, I made the wrong <laughs> choice. I, I don't belong here. I'm a fraud. So, you know, I, I kind of muddled my way through the first semester. Didn't do great. I think I got like a, a two nine or a three zero. But second semester, I think I got to a pretty dark place where I was just I was homesick. Um, you know, I, I had started dating a girl and things went south. Um, and you know, the football piece it was it was good, but um, you know, I, I I for the first time in in a long time I wasn't playing a lot. And so spring ball wasn't going great for me. And I just, um, you know, I, I, I got to the point where I thought that the only way out, and I wasn't doing well in school at this point either. I was, I was failing the class and just struggling. And for me at that point, I was, I thought that the best way to, to, to get out of it was, was to, to commit suicide. And, you know, obviously in hindsight, stupid, stupid decision, but it felt like the only way out. I felt so boxed in. I felt so trapped. And so, you know, I, I, I tried to take my life. Um, and I was very lucky that I had good friends and they called an ambulance. And, you know, I, I spent a couple of days in, in a, a mental facility and um, the coaches, my teammates, my parents, we got me back to a place where, you know, I could go back in the fall and, and be successful. And it wasn't easy. The, you know, my sophomore year was, was a big struggle. It wasn't really until my junior year that I turned things around. Um, 
And, and, you know, I, I did, I, I loved case and I wouldn't, I wouldn't change any of it. What I would change is, is what, what my, my parents had to go through, what my friends had to go through, my coaches had to go through because in, in hindsight, it was, it was pretty selfish of me, but I, I just felt so boxed in. I felt so trapped. Hmm. Well, I wouldn't say it's selfish to feel the way that you felt. I mean, but it's, but you know, like it's, that, that, that freshman year is tough, man. I mean, like so many, it just hits kids so differently. And, you know, like at, at our school, we had, it was a small, I went to Hartwick college and yeah. um, I mean, shoot, we had 1200 kids, 1500 kids at the school. It was like high school 2.0. Um, but it got to a point where the counseling office was actually too, you know, they didn't have enough counselors. So they started um, actually like a peer counseling group. So you're, and I was in that. So long story short, they, the, the counselors would, um, uh, they would kind of train you on like low level stuff to handle like stress, you know, minor substance abuse, boy, girl drama, whatever. Um, and that, you know, that really took the heat off of the actual psychologist who would handle the heavy duty stuff. But it was funny because I think I was the first football player to ever be on it. And then like, word kind of got out in the locker room that like, Hey, yo, like Cahill, Cahill does that stuff. And it was, it was interesting. Cause this is like before talking about that was like kind of in vogue. Not, not that it's in vogue, but it's more open now. Yeah. And so, it, you know, at one point I was like, like we definitely need more than one football player doing this stuff. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, thanks for sharing that. I mean, I think that that's like, you know, and especially to model that for your players where, you know, there's such this image of the head coach is like the alpha dog and like they got it all together, show no weakness. And there's like this image of like outwardly of being like Clint Eastwood from Heartbreak Ridge, you know what I mean? Just like the grizzled gunny, like always barking orders. But, um, but I think that's big too, especially for an environment like, you know, college or especially Kenyan or higher academic schools where, like you attract kids that might have perfectionist tendencies and that's great in one sense, but it's also tough in another because kids put their self-worth into their performance. And then you guys have to figure out how do I make sure that this kid sees a difference between who they are in the mirror and what their GPA is. Yeah. And, and that's, that's hard. And again, I, I, I have, I don't even have close to, to all the answers, but I know, I know how that feels. And so I can at least start there with somebody who is you know, struggling and saying like, I can't do this, uh, my mental health. And, and I'll be honest, um, we've, we've had a couple guys since I've been here that they've had to go home or they've had to leave the team for mental health reasons. But, um, and, it, and it's terrible, I feel awful about it. But at the same time, I know that you know, it's, it's what's best in the long run. And I know that um, we've helped them find help or at least start that process and at the end of the day that's what it's about i i want to see them all graduate i want to see them play four years of football here but at the end of the day i want them to be um functioning human beings that can go out into the world and face the challenges um because you know it's it's tough out there <laughs> sure well that's also another misconception too right that you have to have all the answers which i think when i when i was over in ukraine there's this Russian saying, uh, conversation is the only solution that continues the problem, but at least you'll understand the problem a little bit better every time. <laughs> very, very cynical Russian take on life, but, um, but I don't think you have to like have those answers. I think most kids know, most people know deep down what they kind of need to do. They just need someone to empathize with them. And like they would tell us in the peer counseling group, like, just ask people like, Hey, do you want me to like help you fix this thing or do you just want me to listen and like as a husband being in the listener mode usually solves 98 percent of all my problems <laughs> i've learned that as well so yeah. yeah my wife is like stop trying to fix things i just want to talk <laughs> it, it makes me feel better to hear you say that because yeah i, I think as um we just want to we want to make things better and and with my girlfriend and i like things things in our relationship took a turning point when I stopped trying to fix everything that was wrong. So <laughs> I'm glad to hear you say that. It gets, it gets better though. Well, it's another book on relationships, but it probably has to do with, with coaching even more. So there's a great book called the five love languages and it's, you know, long story short, the, uh, the whole concept is like, 
you know, how you like to be shown affection is how you think everybody likes to be shown affection. So you, and that's how you're going to act towards your significant other or your spouse. So like, I like to be told how awesome I am. So I would be verbal praise would be my love language. My wife, however, thinks that's a moral failing because her love language is like doing acts of service and cleaning the house and whatnot. So we had this like moment where we're reading, we're both reading this book and we're like, oh, like I can see you're actually trying to love me, but I just don't like that. I don't like that love language. And so it's kind of like that idea of Bloom's taxonomy with multiple intelligences and everybody learns different. Um, and I guess for you, like, how do you, how do you guys go about making sure you're understanding how each of your players learn and how you're catering to each of your players as an individual, but at the same time, you're not, uh, you're not compromising standards for all. Um, I talked about this question with coach Cahill over at Yale, um, who I think you get along with, you guys have the same, like Yoda Jedi vibe, um, but how do you, all right. So how do you cater to each of your players as individuals without compromising on the standards for everybody? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's hard. I think that's one of the biggest challenges we face as, as coaches, as teachers, um, is how do you do something that incorporates um, all the different learning styles into one? So, you know, the, the easy answer is, you know, we watch film, you know, we go, we walk through it on, on the field, we draw it up on the board, but I think, um, having a conversation about it before any of that even starts. So, you know, um, and, and there are tests out there and, and we've done them in the past and, and some of them are great. Some of them not so much, but I think having a, a, an honest conversation with each player and saying, you know, what is the best way that you learn? How can we best help you understand this? Um, what I've noticed more and more is that the players we recruit, they're very eager to watch film. They're very eager to dive into the playbook, even if they don't know what the heck they're looking at, um, especially, you know, those first years. So I think the biggest thing for us is we just, we have to sit down, we have to have those conversations and say, are you a visual learner? Um, are you an, an auditory learner? Are you a kinetic learner where you have to be on the field doing it yourself? And then trying to combine, um, balance that, what, what they are, with what maybe they're not and try to fuse all those together. So they're getting a little bit of each, but they're getting more of what they actually need. And that's hard, especially at a small school like Kenyon where we don't have huge staffs, but I think presenting it in a way where you're trying to do what's best for each individual player while, while like you said, um, doing what's best for the whole as well. Um, it's a balancing act. And, and I, by no stretch of the imagination, have it all figured out. But I think, again, the com it has to start with a conversation about how they learn, and then you go from there. Gotcha. Um, and we have a lot of coaches, like young coaches that are listening. What is the biggest mistake you see? Or actually, what was the biggest mistake you ever made as a young coach? And then it stunk in the moment, but what lesson did you take out of that that has set you up for longer term success? I think being a reactionary coach. Um, and what I mean by that is that um, I was very, I still am to, I think I still am a lot, but I, I can be pretty emotional. Um, and, and sometimes I need to let what the players are saying or what they do wash over me first before I react to it. Because in the moment, I, I, I can let my emotions get the best of me. And, and that's not good for me. That's not good for the player. That's not good for anyone. So I think what I've, I've tried to do a better job of and what I've learned from my, my first year as a head coach is that there are, the eyes are on me. Whether I know it or not, they're watching me. And they're watching how I'm going to react to situations. And if I'm calm, cool, collected, they tend to follow that lead. If I go nuts and go chase down a referee who's on the other side of the field, uh, they tend to panic because they see my reaction and they're like, well, if the head coach is reacting this way, then I should probably be panicked as well. So it's just realizing that number one, you, you got to take a minute to let the situation wash over you before you react to it. And number two, realizing that, as you go, so will many of your players. Hmm. Yeah, it's when I taught first grade in Brooklyn, 
the smartest woman in the the smartest person in the whole school was our lunch lady, Miss Kim. And there's this first grade, this one kid, he slipped, and like he, you could tell he, he fell. He was about to start bawling his eyes out. She goes over to him and she goes, "Oh, that was such a great fall. You looked just like the Iron Man on your backpack, and that was so cool. Like, did you see the new movie?" And like the kid like just smiled, and he totally went from about to explode and cry to just like chill and happy. And I was like, "How did you do that?" She was like, yeah. "Just like what you said." you know, kids react to your reaction. It doesn't matter what happens. It matters what your reaction to the event was. And that is a mirror for how the rest of the kids are supposed to act in the room. So if I was chill, my first graders were chill. If I was messed up that day and I was having a bad day, I had way more behavioral issues in the class. And, and it's wild how, even if, you know, I come to the field and, you know, whatever's happened in the, in the office, xyz and i come down in a bad mood like they pick up on that and if i'm in kind of a a pissy mood they'll they'll be a little irritated little ornery which isn't always a bad thing but i mean they they just they pick up on these things they're they're we have really smart kids they're very intuitive and we you just have to be aware of of everything you do is being seen is being felt and and i think that's hard sometimes because you have to try to be not perfect, but, you know, calm, cool, collected. And, you know, as human beings, that's, that's impossible. We all lose our stuff every now and then. So we, right. we just, it's, it's hard, but if, if you want to be really good at it, you got to learn to, to at times internalize things and, and put them aside so that you can be, you know, demonstrate those behaviors that you want to see out of your players. Yeah. Yeah. That's like the most inhuman thing possible to just be level all the time (laughs) i I don't perfectly i don't think anybody perfectly does it but um you definitely don't want to be all over the place because then your players are going to be all over the place um so okay what have you so you're very well read you you know you're very astute very methodical i know you worked at a bookstore um i have a ton of books my wife would probably ship them over to you she's great i don't know why i talk about her like that she's an awesome person but anyway like the Okay, so so talk us through like th- your top three books and what you took away from each of them. Jeez, that's that is tough. Um, I'm I'm gonna try to go back. Um, I, gosh, I, I read all kinds of different genres. I'm I'm a really I'm really big into like science fiction, fantasy. Um, you know, I really like Stephen King. Uh, what else? Neil Gaiman. If you've ever read anything by him, I really love yep. his stuff. Um, for me, I like things because everything football is always football culture is always so serious. We're always so, you know, <laughs> you know, we're frowning, we're, we're, yeah, we're, we're yelling, we, we have, we're hoarse. Um, so for me, I, I try to books are like an escape to me. Um, I, I really enjoyed, um, I'm trying to think like, Gosh, this is a really hard question. So I'm, I'm just trying to go through all the books I've ever read. Um, I love, um, I'll start with a classic. I love um, Catcher in the Rye because it's, mm-hmm. it's that coming of age story. Um, and for me, it just, it showed me, you know, we, we have all these choices. We have all these possibilities that we're, we're born with. And, and it's up to us to choose our direction. And that's kind of catching the rye. Like, you know, he's this young guy, he's trying to figure out life and, and he makes these choices and then they lead him down this path. And then he makes more choices and then they continue to lead him down this path. So I think for me, it just showed like, man, we, we make a lot of mistakes when we're young, um, but we can learn from them. We can get better or we can continue to make poor decisions and get to a place where, um, you know, we're, we're in a bad state. Um, the other thing, there's a short story um, that I love. Um, it's called The Swimmer. And I think it's by John Cheever. Um, I'm not, a, I can't remember, but I read it in college and it always sticks with me. Um, it's about this guy, he goes, um, he, he basically wants to swim across his neighborhood um, through people's pools. Like he just goes from one pool to the next to the next. And, and as he goes, it gets, um, it gets lonelier. It gets um, kind of, how do I explain it? It gets to the point where um, he's, people aren't watching, like he starts at a big party and by the end of it, he's all by himself. 
And there's many different ways you can look at that. But for me, it was kind of one of those things um, I looked at it as, you know, he's trying to do something while it's goofy. It's he's trying to do something really great. And, and, you know, it's what I've learned and what I always go back to in this story is it's kind of lonely at the top. Um, and, and as you try to do these big things, you're not going to be surrounded by as many people as you would like. And so that's one, it's not a book, but it's just a short story that I always go back to. And then I would have to say, um, God, what would be my third book? Um, I would say, and this is um, the Bill Walsh book. Um, I know it's such a football coach thing to say, but I, I love the way he breaks down things in that book. And I actually, I remember when I bought it, I bought it at the AFCA convention and I still have it. Um, but like we, we bought it for like, 25 bucks and I guess they go like they don't make them anymore so I didn't, I didn't even know at the time because right. the the coach I was with he's like you gotta buy this book right now you will never find this thing again and so I was like okay um and I was a poor GA at the time so I was like oh man 25 <laughs> bucks is a lot man. half my paycheck <laughs> yeah so um I I you know I probably read it once or twice but for me that book has been so helpful because it basically he outlines this is how you build an organization this is and, and obviously Division three, we don't have, you know, all these different parts, but to a certain extent we do. And so for me, that helped um, frame how I wanted to build a team, build a culture, um, build our, our recruiting process. Um, and that was kind of the foundation for it. And then obviously I learned, you know, a lot of different things throughout the world uh, along the way, but that was that book. You know, I can always go back to that and know, like, uh, you know, I'm going to read this chapter again about being a general manager, so I can I can start to extrapolate some things from it. Now, do you have any reflective practices like uh, journaling or prayer, meditation, or it seems like most coaches, and it doesn't matter really the level of success that they have. It's just it seems like most people have some type of, or most coaches tend to have some type of practice where the, they can sit down at the end of the week or end of the day and go, okay, what happened? What did I learn? Well, do you have a practice like that? I, I journal, um, not as much as I should, but I have got, I've got like a personal journal and then I've got like a football journal. So I try to keep those two separate. Cause I, I for me, it's important. Um, football obviously consumes so much of my life, but I want to be able to write about the things that, that other things, um, and they cross over sometimes, unfortunately, but I try to keep the two separate. Um, I, I try to, um, we, we do yoga, um, every, every Wednesday, Thursday in our program. So in season, I try to do that with the guys. Cause I think it really helps focus me and just slow my mind down a little bit. Um, I do, I do pray probably not as much as I should, but mostly cause I, I drive about 45 minutes every day to the office. Um, and so that's a great time for me to just turn everything off and just, you know, say a little prayer. And, and mostly it's just to be thankful of, of everything I have, um, especially right now with everything that's going on in the world, just to, to be grateful to be the head coach at a, at a great place like Kenyon. So a combination of all those things, I think, help keep me sane. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it seems like journaling is, um, it seems like a more popular answer more recently. I don't know if it was popular years ago or not, but I, I just, I don't know. There, there's been some interesting studies on correlation between physically writing words and slowing your thoughts down. And, you know, there's this English, I had an English professor. He had this quote, I'm sure he stole from somebody, but you know, how will I know what I think until I see what I write? And so for me, I'm, I'm a big journaler and then, you know, and it just kind of helps me get get stuff out on I would much rather have like a mess on paper than in my head um and so journaling is an awesome trait um and and then do you have um a favorite quote or 10 oh. no I'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> um gosh I mean there's so many Vince Lombardi ones um you know I, one that I keep going back to um because Gosh, I'm just, I'm a pusher in the sense that like everything I do, I, I do it, I do it to, to my girlfriend. I do it at work sometimes with my employees. I, I push because I want to see how far I can push. And so there's this quote, and I can't remember who it's by, but 
um, it's, I, I like getting into hot water because it keeps me clean. Um, so I, I love to, I want to know where my boundaries are at. And so I, I push people to see where theirs are at too. And it, it doesn't always end well, but I think for me, it, it helps establish parameters. Like with players, you gotta, you gotta push them um, to a certain extent. You gotta see how far they can go. And then once you see, okay, this is, this is the end, then you pull back and you know, okay, I can push them this far. Um, and then the great thing is, you know, as they get older, you can push them that far and then a little bit further. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's the right way to do things, but I just, I like to know, I like to know how far I can push people because then you can, you know, you know like here, here are my limits. Um, here's what I can work in. And then you do it. Yeah, but I think, yeah, you wouldn't know that unless you put somebody in an uncomfortable professional situation where it's like, if you've, whether it's an assistant coach, hey, man, we need you to step up. We just lost a position coach because of this thing um, or a player, you know, um, like I look back at when I, I was, you know, I had ability, but I wasn't performing well for my freshman, sophomore years. Oh, I couldn't stand my coach. You know, oh, he's just yelling at me and blah, blah, blah. I had every excuse in the book. And then like, I look back and then I'm like, he just, he just wanted to like keep pushing and to see like how far I would go. And, um, it was almost like, it was almost like it will prove me wrong thing. And maybe I didn't like that style of coaching, but it was the style of coaching that I was stuck with. And so I figured out a way to get around it. Um, last thing, you know, when you're a hundred years old and, um, you still have perfect hair and you're talking to your grandkids about how awesome you were, um, what would be the one thing you would want your players to have remembered about their time playing with you? I think, you know, ultimately I, you want to win games. You want to win championships. If, if you don't, I think you're, you're probably in the wrong profession because we all want to win. But at the end of the day, I want my players to look back um, on their time with at Kenyon, specifically with the football program and and say man i had a, i had a blast i had so much fun like oh it was hard it was tough but man coach coach sure cared about me and and he made sure that that i graduated and that i had a blast um and and i think really that's 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 what i would love to hear is that they had an amazing experience they won some games um but they knew that i i cared about them and you know even though we won't always agree they know that um, when I'm getting after them, when I'm yelling at them, whether it's on the field, whether I'm getting after them because they're not doing what they need to do in the classroom, it's because I care, because I want what's best for them. I want them to have tremendous success in the future because that's what it's all about. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's about building these young men up to be great human beings and to be um, awesome members of society, not just functional, but awesome members of society. So that's, that's what I hope, you know, when I'm, when I'm grandfather and talking to the grandkids, I, I hope that I still get those invites from players for, you know, for weddings, for, for, you know, when their, their sons graduate from high school and things like that. Cause that's how, you know, you did a good job is if the players are still reaching out to you, still letting you know what's going on in their lives. Thanks for listening to the coach Cahill show. If you found today's show inspiring or helpful, please write us a review on Apple Podcasts or share the show with a friend. Reviews and ratings are what help us continually attract interesting and engaging guests like the one you heard today. Remember, referrals are the best compliment. <laughs>